It's February 10th, 2022, and you're listening to the Architecture Geeks podcast. I'm Larry. And I'm Matthew. And we're your friendly neighborhood architects being geeky as we want to be. Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to February, which for us here in Texas, you know, last year was such a freak show of February that uh, it was kind of nice this year. We've actually had a freeze. So, you know, uh, one and a half days of kind of icky weather. And I guess winter's done, I suppose. I mean, I I know I didn't really go anywhere. Did, Did you guys even get out of the house? No, I we didn't get out too much. We, I mean, we took the kids out, but that's just to burn burn their energy because apparently you can throwing them out in really cold weather is just as good as an hour on the playground for even five minutes. Just just being out there, it, it's enough to really sap their energy. So we we took the sled out and found the tallest hill we could around here. You know, it's all relative, so. <laughs> but we we that, that was a lot of fun and everybody got to take turns sliding down the hill the kids by themselves the kids with us you know it was a lot of fun well yeah and, and william's getting kind of big too isn't he yeah yeah he's over 40 pounds and over almost four feet tall now so yeah <laughs> holy cow and they're only he's only three that's just that is just absolutely insane Wow. Well, you know, fitting that we're, that we're talking about <laughs> about your giant child, because we wanted to revisit an old topic today with sort of an, I guess, a new pers- new perspective, and, and not really a really old, old topic, because we were talking about this around this time last year. We, we were really exploring how our roles as parents, and that's Matthew being kid parents and me being a doggy parent, but how all that's influenced us both as architects, and that I think at the time Matthew was barely two years into his life as a father of twins, and I think it's probably safe to say that things have changed since the last time we talked about parenting and architecture. Yeah, so today we're going to continue that conversation because as we continue to grow as parents, new experiences come with new, uh, I'm going to call it learning opportunities, but I guess that's the optimistic way to put it. I guess I could have just as easily called them struggles <laughs> and 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 how that and how they have impacted how I've approached my job as an architect. And I love that you actually call it, you know, um learning opportunities. I always there's there's a <laughs> I won't say it was a joke because the intern I was working with at the time didn't appreciate it, but I'm like, it's a learning experience. This is a learning experience for you. And and she didn't really appreciate that as much as I did, I guess. But yeah, I would imagine three-year-olds, you're learning learning quite a bit. So what we wanted to do was was talk about sort of parenting 3.0 since I guess you know the kids are three now. And what we want to talk about is, is some things that, that they've been doing and sort of how it relates to architecture. So we're going to touch on scale models and that sort of idea of getting a tactile sense of, of scale and what that means. We're also going to talk about the fact that Matthew has been spending, I think, a little too much time playing with this kid's Christmas presents. And then we'll end up with talking a lot. So for, for the architects and I guess for the non-architects, because especially the, the, the parents out there will enjoy this part. We're going to talk about MEP, which is Mechanical, Electrical, and Plumbing, because apparently from what Matthew's been telling me, that's the latest and greatest discovery. Um, 
once they hit about what two and a half were you telling me two and a half was really when we started potty training so that's when they really got the full experience of here's all of our plumbing appliances and here's where all the water comes from and all this other things so you're like and so what once they once they got a hold of that they just they just kept rolling with it and so just like okay well we're going to slow down now because water and bubbles are fun but not when they're all over the floor now so we'll start our parenting podcast today talking about scale models because over the past year or so the 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 twins have really started getting into things like legos and other small figurines uh one of riley's recent favorite toys and i only say recent because it changes week to week what her favorite toy is but her most recent favorite toy is this small eighth inch scale plastic dog and it it came as part of a larger farm themed set with a small barn there were some horses fences a tractor you know the, the the usual kind of plastic farm set that you would get uh but what has been really fun to watch as an architect is both Riley and William taking these 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 scaled little animals and and building entire worlds for them with that f- small farm set but but expanding that further with Legos and Lincoln logs so it's just this sprawling small scale world and and by the time that they're done playing with it that that small farm set has expanded to include a, a fairly unstable Lincoln log mansion. Cause again, they're two and a half, three years old. So, uh, you know, it's, it could use a little bit of work, but and then it's got some Lego cars and some trains for their animals, but it's, it's really quite the creation. And, 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 and as an architect, it's so much fun to watch. And, and I'm, if I'm being honest, it's fun to participate in the building as well, because Lincoln logs are cool. Yeah, I can remember playing with Lincoln Logs a lot, especially my great grandmother's house. And I was always so disappointed because the there was only so much in that canister, and so there's only so many things you could really do with it. But it was it was like I needed like three or four more cans to really be able to do something serious with it. But I just remember you know getting out and, and playing with it all the time because this is you know that's I think that scale model stuff really is one of those first likely first interactions that any any kid might have with architecture whether they're you know realize it or not because it's the the sort of imagination and brain power that really sort of you have to have or you have to really work through to get this this little world you've created at your age you know at that age that the you know there's the same design muscles that we use as architects they're using instead with the little Lincoln logs. And that's just kind of really cool. The funny thing that made to me though is, and I don't know if you had this experience, but watching my nephew play with some of this stuff and they have scale model things, but the things that they have aren't always at the same scale. So you end up with, you know, giant horse, tiny building, larger dog. But I mean, there's just sort of this mishmash of things, but it's right. It's that first time I think that they get that sense of, what scale means and and what you know, how buildings maybe start coming together. I, I don't know. It's just I I honestly hadn't really thought about it much when I was a kid. It just was one of those fun things to play with. But you know, of course, as architects, we we talk about you know well, we need to build these. And we used to do it all the time. We would build these models so that the client could understand what was happening. Of course, and now it's becoming everything's becoming much more digital. So 
it's not really something to tangible, it's something you can grab hold of, but it still is one of those really important and powerful tools that we have to sort of communicate the design to the to the client. Part of me thinks it's really because that everyone can kind of relate to the scale models, you know, you know the smaller models. I mean, and, and if you think about it, you know, your, your kids, they're two and a half, you know, starting when they were two and a half, there's some intuitive understanding about, about the models themselves and, and what they're communicating and and how do you visualize that? Of course, as, as, as we're looking at it, <laughs> because we can't help ourselves, you're like, you're trying to visualize it as, as an architect and, and suddenly maybe thinking about plans and elevations. And what does this thing really look like? Because, you know, we've, we've got this, this, um, I don't know, the sort of mishmash of things going on. As you said, you have the farm set, the Lego and the Lincoln log all coming together. Another thing that, that, you know, on top of the scale models, there's another thing that, the kids got for Christmas, and and we talked about this a little bit on the first podcast of the year. And I think you've had more fun with it than they have. And I, if you listened last time, guys, you'll know we're talking about these stepping stones that you got for the kids. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, these are uh, hard plastic shells uh, of varying height with with rubber grips on the bottom that you can stand on and, and jump from one shell to another in, in a kind of floor is lava type game. And it's a surprisingly good way for the kids to burn energy inside. And, and we set up a really cool little obstacle course across the, the living room and the dining room. And, and the kids just have had an absolute blast with it. And of course, you know, when, when the kids leave for, for daycare, that, <laughs> that's when I get to have fun with it. And, and so I created a path from my desk to the bathroom using nothing but those shells. So, so you, you know, so when I, you know, when I, whenever I need to go to the bathroom, you get up and you hop from shell to shell. And of course, my obstacle course is a little bit more challenging than theirs, but <laughs> it was, it was a great way to, you know, my, my calves actually felt kind of sore because, you know, it's not a muscle that you're using on a, on a regular basis. At least I haven't been lately. <laughs> and, 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 and I will say that, even though I was doing my own obstacle course, I, I did make sure I, I did go online to make sure that these little plastic jumping stones supported my weight before I started jumping on them. I can 100% say that I am getting just as much out of this kid's Christmas present as they are at this point. <laughs> I think I can probably say with maybe 95% certainty that at some point you're going to have a hundred percent injury <laughs> from, from doing this. It's, it's, it's fun. Oh, it's challenging. It's like, Oh, wait a minute, slip bonk. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the email to say, okay, I, I've, I've sprained my ankle or I've pulled a muscle somewhere because you know, that's, that's, that's one of the things I'm actually, actually taking from this conversation a little bit. You know, the, the other thing as an architect I'm taking from this other than the fact that, you know, you really, I guess, got bored one day and decided you needed something fun to do, is that we don't design our spaces. As architects, we really don't design spaces for play as much as we design them to look good. And I think a prime example of that is that you just talked about setting up an obstacle course and the stones for you through the living room and through the dining room. Well, those are are spaces that are meant for living and dining and and not intended for play, but, but we don't have the space for it. So we end up using them for other purposes. So instead of a dedicated dining room, now suddenly it's become the play area. And even, even the times when you have a dedicated play area, it's not really set up for play. It's just another big space for the kids to sort of 
spread out in. Nothing frustrates me more as a parent these days. And, and as an architect, I really appreciate these images. They're these, they're, there's those really clean images that you see on, on all the architecture blogs, like, check out so-and-so, so-and-so famous person's house and look how, look how modern it is. Look how, look how spacious it is. Look at all the natural light that's coming in. And, and you know, they, they've got all the latest gadgets and, and probably some really cool architect doing it. It doesn't look lived in. It, it, it's it's there to be looked at rather than to be lived in, and and so I, I I can really appreciate houses that actually look like somebody lives there rather than uh, just used as a, a backdrop for for whatever famous person is posing in front of it. That you have mentioned that just makes me laugh because I. I don't know, a couple of years ago, wrote a blog post because Ricky Martin, they did a, a a photo shoot for Architectural Digest and it's Ricky Martin at home with the kids. And of course they're, they're showing the kids bedrooms. And I'm like, there's no way children were living in that space. I mean, that space has never looked like that since the kids got the first toy. There's, there's no way, but it looks so great and so pretty and everything was so organized. And I'm like, <laughs> the minute that photo shoot was over, stuff went absolutely everywhere. And there's probably a, not a parent out there who had looked at that and went like, yeah, keep telling people that because, because no one's going to believe it. But, mm-hmm. but there are places in, and you were talking about like in J- I think it's a house in Japan and a couple other places where they actually really integrated it, you know, thought about it. They really integrated the play into the actual, actual design of the house. Yeah. There, there's this really cool house. It, it, it has a, an integrated cargo nets into it. So it was this two story volume. There was a living space on the first floor. And then on the second floor, it was just open, but they had a, a cargo nets on the second floor and then there's some skylights above that so it kind of lit the entire floor all the way through down to the first floor and it was really cool because i could imagine okay the parents are down here on the first floor send the kids upstairs they can go bounce around that cargo net all they want to and everybody can still have a great time but you know it's 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 a it's a great use for a double height space you know the, the cargo net was stretched across the entire space so that nobody was ever going to fall but it, it was it was to me that was a great way to integrate both a kids need to play having a really nice looking space and taking other architectural considerations into it as well like natural lights and 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 just being able to inhabit every little space part of your house because you know a, a lot of times you see double double height spaces and it's just more dead space that you, your ac has to pump cold air into and of course there's always going to be a dead zone and 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 it's just never going to feel just completely right so you're just kind of like so it was it was a really cool way of just of handling that and still integrating kid play areas in there as well and and that's what i would really appreciate more i guess uh much much the same way that you have a Murphy bed so that you can convert a, a game room into uh, an extra bedroom if somebody comes over or or whatever the case may be like if you have a fold out bed from your under your couch that fold, that converts your living room into a, an extra bedroom if you need to have somebody over 
why can't we do the same thing for for play spaces like have a murphy rock climbing wall or something it, cut, it folds out from the wall and bam you got a rock climbing wall i was like hey that'd be pretty cool i don't know i just with, with two little kids running around right now that'd be incredibly valuable to me <laughs> And you were talking about too the these double volume spaces that don't do anything that they're just double volume spaces. I mean, you got a lot of wall. You could put some you know rock climbing stuff on it, hopefully, and you know might have to throw out the mats down during the day. But but think about that. That yeah, how do we convert some of these spaces into actual usable space? And and I don't know that we think about that that much. You know, we we you see these houses that are designed with these game rooms or these bonus rooms that are supposed to be for play, but they're never really set up for that. And and there has to be a way to do that so that so that people can actually get back to using like their dining room for for the dining room and the living room for the living room to not have kids' toys scattered all over the place because it's the only play area they have. I mean, there has to be a solution there somewhere. But the the thing that I, I, I'm, I've been looking forward to on this podcast to getting to because <laughs> I don't have to deal with this. The best I have to deal with a dog, you know, slobbering water around a little bit. But you guys are now having that fun experience of the kids are getting tall enough to be able to reach things. And so now you have this whole whole other basket of possibilities that are just opened up for you guys. Yeah, I definitely have to say the biggest development over the last year uh, with is, has been with the kids' interaction with the MEP systems in the house or the mechanical, electrical, and plumbing. So, from about two to three years old, they have developed so much more control over their bodies, which also correlates with an uptick in curiosity, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but the other big thing that hit over the last year was potty training. So this past year, we introduced the kids to the toilet, soap, and washing your hands in the sink after you're finished. And and soap was especially big hit because if you can get enough of it, you can fill the entire sink with bubbles. And it and it didn't help that we were using hand washing as a reward for going to the bathroom. I have mentioned in the past that our kids love playing with water. So that, that I mean, it, it was a good system so that we don't have to f- hype them up on M&Ms, which was what was suggested to us multiple times. <laughs> so the, the water was a trade off there. But combine that with their other favorite thing lately, which has been helping in the kitchen, like dishes and cooking and, and cleanup. Again, more water. They're, they're using most of the major appliances or in our house, or, or at least trying to. I, I don't know <laughs> which is worse at this point. And, and on top of all that now, they're now tall enough that they can flip light switches on. They, they can't turn them off without a stool, but they can push that rocker up just enough that the momentum flips the light switch on. So things are definitely opening themselves up for the kids these days and 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 with that newfound independence and love for water we've had to develop new strategies for containing them (laughs) we do the obvious things like 100 percent supervised bathroom visits and time time limits on washing hands but there are certain things that have really tickled the architect part of my brain like flooring material choices um, and, and I'll say this because our house is completely tiled, which has been absolutely amazing. 
And I have never appreciated that more than when William releases a full bladder all over the living room floor. And, and, and at that point, you're just like, oh, buddy, come on. Now it's in your shoes and it's on the floor and you've been tracking it everywhere. So I'm really thankful that we have tile everywhere. It's great. I love it. But sometimes I just miss our rugs because we used to have rugs everywhere and we pull them all up the minute we started potty training because that because they they were they just weren't going to survive <laughs> to be honest they, they, we've had too many accidents too many times and it just wasn't going to happen so we're like okay all the rugs leave and you guys can pee on the tile if you want but at the same time it's really really cold and 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 so you become very aware of your flooring choices um, especially as an architect because you know like well I could I could definitely see where if you're living in a house with either wood floors or uh, or carpet or, or some other material that can act like a sponge to just soak up that pee. Like if you don't get to it immediately, you are screwed. And and oh, I, I do not. I, I have I've absolutely loved the tile for that one specific reason, even if even if there are some you know thermal limitations like. Like, especially this winter, it's been particularly cold. But <laughs> I, like I said, I miss our rugs. But uh, mater- material choices have have which which are, are part of an architect's day job have have become even more important as as we enter this new stage of potty training and and uh, kids flipping switches on water when they shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and the whole thing about flooring choices makes me makes me go back to when we first got Boo and Luna. We had them a day, and we went to went out to my main laws are here. We went out to dinner and came back, and one of them had peed in the hallway, which would be fine, except it's all wood floors, and we were gone long enough that it sat there. And so we have this little section of wood floor in front of our laundry room that is all cupped. And we're like, well, damn it. (laughs) What drove us crazy was that there was a doggy door and they had both been in and out of it. But one of them, I guess, decided that that was just going to be the place. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe a little bit out of spite or if they just, you know, new place, got a little confused and just peed right there in the middle of the floor. So I can certainly appreciate appreciate having having all that tile and I, I think you you can too because the there are things that that we don't think about as architects like from, from a little person perspective and, and the potential damage that can happen because bathroom sinks I mean you talk about them liking to wash their hands you know not every bathroom sink has an overflow hole in it so if you do it right you can get that sink full all the way up to the top and beyond and so suddenly you've got water cascading on the floor of course in your case you've got tile so yeah you and most bathrooms will but but a little bit of water can do a lot of damage it doesn't take a whole lot well the other thing and the other thing too is is you're potty training these kids and big people toilets aren't meant for little kids it just doesn't work well i mean if you go into to elementary schools all the fixtures are kid height and they're meant for kids but you know, most houses are, it's all adult height. So suddenly now I'm sure you guys were struggling to get, <laughs> struggling to get them up there and get, get them to understand, okay, you have to climb up here and do your business because it's not a natural height for them. But the thing, the thing that you mentioned to me 
that I thought was fascinating was this whole idea about the appliances and about them starting to you know press buttons on the appliances because there's the potential damage that can happen <laughs> when someone turns on a microwave and there's nothing in it. I mean, to the point that if it runs long enough, you have the potential for fire. So you were telling me what you guys keep a glass of water in the microwave so that, so that William doesn't accidentally turn it on and just basically set the kitchen on fire. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it, it was something I learned. I don't, I don't even remember where I picked it up, but somewhere I remember hearing about how if you leave a microwave on long enough with nothing in it, it has the potential to cause a fire in your kitchen. And it just it's just the microwave is creating these energy beams that are that are supposed to be, you know, hitting whatever you have in the microwave. But if you don't have anything for those beams to hit, it's just going to keep bouncing around in there. And eventually it'll either it'll either destroy the 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 microwave itself or uh, and, and that's your best case scenario. Or if you leave it on long enough, you can you can actually cause a, a, a fire. I'm honestly, I, I would be more concerned about someone eventually sticking something in it and turning it on, like a G.I. Joe or a Barbie, or unfortunately, a matchbox car that's made out of metal. I think that would be the scarier part that potentially one of them, <laughs> one of them might actually figure that out. And, and suddenly there's a, there's a much bigger issue than, than just getting water on the floor. Yeah. Now, well, and and you know, like I said, William's at the height now that he can press. He can. Ju- he'll just mash the buttons on our microwave. So, and that that's really where this this idea kind of came from. Because you know, like, oh, what does that button do? Well, it turns it on like mom and dad do all the time. So I'm just going to keep pressing that button because it makes noises and there's lights. So I'm just going to keep doing that. And of course. You know, if like I said, if you run it long enough, <laughs> the best case scenario is that it, it, you have to get a new microwave. <laughs> Worst case, burns your house down. <laughs> and what are you guys going to do when when they get to the point where they can figure out how to work like the the tub controls um, or the shower controls, where they can actually figure out, okay, this is what turns water on. See, we've already thought of that. That 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 is, and this is this is the. The cherry on the cherry on top of this ice cream sundae that is our MEP systems for toddlers. It is. It is. Oh, this this is the part that this is my parenting hack to share with the world because we have actually decoupled the water handle from the from the from the spigot. There's a little. There was a little screw at the bottom, and I figured out one day. I uns- because I unscrewed it and the whole thing, the, the handle just fell off the wall one day. It, it was completely by accident. I, I, I don't remember why I was unscrewing it, but I was unscrewing it. I think it was to fix some caulk or something and it just fell off the wall. And I'm just like, okay, well that sucks. You know, it's going to be really hard to get any kind of, you know, water out of this. But I was like, wait a minute, we bathe our kids in these every day and every day they try to, you know, they're, they're pulling the lever and watching the water come out. And eventually one day they will just let it keep running or like I said, fill it with soap and then just let the suds just go everywhere. And, but so we're like, this is genius. We're just going to leave it off. And then whenever we want, we'll treat it like a lock and a key. You put the key in the lock and then just use that as a, like as a lever action. So we've actually been able to completely control bath time 
just on the sheer accident of we have the handle and we know how to use it and they don't. <laughs> that is genius. I absolutely love that. That is so cool. Well, and, and the fact that you've discovered it by accident is even better because, you know, it's like, oh, hey, who'd have thought? But, but yeah, if they don't know how to put it all together at this point, then yeah, they can't, they can't turn it on. So that's, that is amazing. That is, that is, that is just absolute genius. And, and you've, you discovered a hack and, and you know, it's, it, I, I think kind of brings us around to the question that we've been wanting to ask everybody. And, and because you've, you've gone through this experience, but, and I think we asked it last year that, that we were, we were more concerned last year about, you know, what, what would you change from a design perspective if you could, before you became a parent and how much has that design perspective changed now that you are? So, so question to everyone listening is if you could, what is one thing that you would change about your house from a design perspective as your children have gotten older, as they have you know, gone from two to three and then three to five and then five to 10, what are the design changes that, that you would make if you could make one change? Would it be more dedicated space? I'm, I'm thinking turning light fixtures on, suddenly having a, a, a lighting control system that mom and dad can operate from the phone might come in very handy. But, but let us know. Um, you can always email me, Larry, at Spotted Dog Architecture, or you can send me a message on my Instagram or Twitter at Spotted Dog Arch. And you can find the podcast on Instagram at Arch Geeks Podcast or on our website at architecturegeeks.com. And let us know what you think. And we'll catch you guys next time. I think we're actually going to be talking next time with... Yeah, next 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 podcast will be with Phil Coffee, who we talked with a year ago, and find we're going to hopefully find out to see what has changed in the last year of the pandemic and what his office is up to and how they're functioning now because everything's I won't say starting to get back to normal normal, but I know that the UK is starting to really loosen the restrictions, so going to be kind of curious to see what he has to say. But join us next time, and for now, we will let you go. And thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.